This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Uh, I'll admit, I'll come clean. I, I don't know the best way to start the show today. Normally, I try to start with a nice anecdote uh, or a joke. I, I, I don't, I don't know uh, what to say. So I'm just going to take 30 seconds, make small talk about the weather, and then we can get into sports. How does that sound? <clears throat> yeah, crummy, da- uh, crummy day today. Ah, uh, snow and sleet, and just a just a bunch bunch of junk falling around outside. So drive safe uh, as you head home from work and. Uh, you know, make sure to get your, uh, your your shovels or whatever out when you, you get home. Yeah, just it's just a bummy day. Just crummy weather. Hope you're staying dry. There. There. Is that enough? Is that enough small talk before you start the show? I thought all day. Like, how do I? What's the first thing I'm going to say? Do I have a joke? Do you have a little anecdote? I, I got nothing. So there. There's 20, 30 seconds. Small talk about the weather. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. My name is, my name is Grant Phils. I'm not a professional. I, I'm just here to have fun and talk sports. They can't all be great. Not every show can start with an amazing joke. I, I got nothing. The election's over, right? I, I have nothing to joke about today. Let's just talk some sports. I want to talk about Monday Night Football. Start the show with what happened last night. I also want to talk a lot about the Packers and the Badgers today. A little bit more Bucks talk. We're going to start to work them back into the fold. We were really, really heavy on the Bucks last week. And look, if, if you're not a big Bucks fan, if you're not a big NBA fan, I, I apologize. Last week probably wasn't for you. It was the NBA offseason, quote-unquote, because it's taking place in November, which is very odd. But free agency and the draft and, and trades began. So if the NBA wasn't your thing, I apologize. Last week, you probably were tuning out a little bit. But don't worry. We're back on We're back on football. Packers, Badgers, and we'll talk a little bit about the NBA because some noteworthy things did happen with the Bucks today. Not with the Bucks, but noteworthy things around the league that impact the Bucks. We have some weird things to talk about today. One thing I want to mention about a Packers beat reporter, there's some drama on the Packers beat. That should be fun. And Mike McCarthy, that son of a gun, uh, he just outdid himself. And we'll talk about that before 6 o'clock as well. Once again, it's the Wisco Sports Show. And my name is Grant Bills. I'm so glad you've tuned in. You can tweet at me anytime, but especially during the show, to share your thoughts and opinions. At Wisco Grant, you can always text the show, 608-796-2558. And if you want to call in, I will open up the phone lines in about 10 or 12 minutes or so. I want to start today. Before we get into all those topics, I just gave you the full list. I feel like, were you taking notes? Did you get that down? Because that's what's coming up. Uh, I want to start the show, however, by talking about what happened last night. Between the Rams and the Buccaneers, Tampa Bay and Los Angeles. This was an awesome game because these are two teams that we've seen lots of different types of performances from. We've seen the Rams get killed and we've seen the Rams win big, especially on prime time. Look really good against some good teams. We've seen Tampa Bay win big like they did over the Packers and we've seen them lose to the Chicago Bears. So a lot of variance with both of these teams, right? Now, we both believe them to be quality football teams. I think we like Sean McVay. Jared Goff is fine. We like Tampa Bay's roster. Bruce Arians and Tom Brady are fine. Lots of variants. We could get good or bad. And last night, standalone on Monday Night Football, I think we were all really excited to see how Rams, Buccaneers, shaped out. Now, the Rams won 27-24 to last night. And I want to get into some of the details and what this means 
for the Packers. I don't love Monday Night Football. I feel like we, we have this conversation every week. And it's not the fault of the broadcasters. I really like Steve Levy. He's far, I, I don't know if play-by-play is his wheelhouse, but I really like Steve Levy. Brian Greasy is fine. I really like Lewis Riddick. But as soon as they stuck them all in the Monday Night Football booth, I'm like, I no longer like these guys. I don't, I don't like them anymore. I don't know what it is. There's a Monday Night Football effect, right, where you take a broadcaster I love and you put him in the Monday Night booth, and I'm like, I do not want it anymore. I'm no longer, no longer interested. I think, I think part of it is the brand of ESPN, too. Like, Monday Night Countdown is the same way. They want, the, they want their crew to be upbeat and cracking jokes and talking smack. It's like, can we, can we talk about football? Like, Monday Night Countdown wears me out, where they do, come on, man, and you got mossed. It's like, well, is this America's funniest home videos, or are we trying to watch a football game here? It just feels so cartoonish. And I don't like Monday Night Football, and I hate watching live sports on ESPN other than the NBA. But last night's game was amazing. Because with about two minutes to go in the game, I think everybody was looking around. Tom Brady down three with the ball. Everyone looked around and said, oh my God, here we go. What happens next? What happens in the final two minutes of this game? That's going to shape what everybody is saying for days to come. I realized with two minutes to go last night when Tom Brady had the ball that this drive is going to drive Sports Talk Radio tomorrow. I realize if Tom Brady goes down and scores, we're going to be talking it tomorrow. If he throws a pick and they lose, which they did, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. This drive, these last two minutes of a Monday night game are going to drive sports radio and TV today and probably tomorrow until we get more games on Thanksgiving. It's going to shape the narrative around Tom Brady, shape the narrative around Bruce Arians, shape the narrative around the Buccaneers, who, by the way, are 7-4. and four. The Cleveland Browns have a better record. This is a sports talker's dream. Right, more so than just a sports fan's dream. But if you like sports talk, radio, and TV, you just had to be cracking your knuckles last night because you know that the Stephen A. Smiths and the Skip Baylesses of the world were just ready to go like a dog waiting on a treat. What's Tom Brady going to do? What are the Buccaneers going to do? Now, Brady threw an interception, and I could feel the gravity of the situation as it happened. As soon as that interception was thrown, and Tom Brady did have two, soon as that interception was caught, I'm like, here we Go like Heath Ledger's Joker. Here we go. Like that's that's how I felt. It's like let the hot takes fly, let the opinionated articles just write themselves. Here we go. Tom Brady was bad last night. Twenty six of forty eight for just barely over two hundred sixteen yards, two hundred fifteen yards, two touchdowns, two picks. He was only sacked once, which blows my mind. It felt like he was getting hit all the time. I'm surprised he was only sacked once. And I thought his numbers and Tampa Bay, especially early on in this game, they were helped by some pass interference calls that may or may not have been pass interference calls. And Tom Brady was given the benefit of an incomplete pass when it looks like he might have fumbled the ball forward out of his own end zone. So Tom Brady wasn't up against the refs last night either. He had some luck go his way. The Buccaneers had some luck go their way. And by the way, Mike Evans has gone from a fascinating, cool story to one of the more just annoying players in sports. Like if he doesn't catch the ball, he's whining. He, he has become what Luka Doncic is becoming. It's like, hey, Luka, I like you, but if you whine about every call, it starts to get annoying. Mike Evans has become that. Tom Brady was bad. The Bucks' offense was bad. And they even got the benefit of some questionable officiating decisions, pass interferences, and then that decision between a fumble and, and an incomplete pass. Now, I knew last night when this game ended that the media would not blame Tom Brady. I knew it. Like, this is going to become a discussion about anything other than Tom Brady. This is not going to be blamed on Tom Brady. Because if you'll remember, last time the Buccaneers lost, last time the Buccaneers lost was to the New Orleans Saints. 
they were it was, they were just massacred. It, it was you. I mean, you had to put your kids in their room. It's like, come on, son, you can't watch this. This isn't appropriate, right? I realize this is broadcast TV, but the Saints lost. The Saints beat the Buccaneers. Excuse me, thirty-eight to three. And you're like, put the kids to bed. They can't. They can't see this. This is too graphic. And the take the next day was not criticism of Tom Brady, but it was it was criticism of Bruce Arians. Well, they didn't establish the run. They didn't. They didn't establish. They never established the run in that game. And they did only carry the ball four times, which is absolutely unexcusable. But any smart football fan knows. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tyler Johnson, who's a rookie I like, Scotty Miller, who Tom Brady likes. They have Gronk. They have Antonio Brown. Cameron Brate's a really solid tight end. They have amazing weapons. Nobody ever walks away from a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game thinking, you know what? We needed to get Leonard Fournette more involved. The, the player so great that the Jacksonville Jaguars decided to pay him to not play for them anymore. Establishing, I don't want to hear about establishing the run with the Bucs, but the Bucs got blown out by the Saints 38-3, to and the next day, nobody blamed Tom Brady. Nobody blamed, No, it was, they didn't establish the run. My bad, got to establish the run. Last night, the Buccaneers are struggling, and they struggled against the Saints because Tom Brady can't throw the ball down the field. He can't. Tom Brady cannot throw the ball down the field. Let me hit you with some statistics, some sabermetrics. According to uh, Amazon Web Services, AWS, and NextGen Stats. Completions and attempts, week one through seven, Tom Brady on deep passes, 14 of 39. That's just under 36% completion. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, pass rating of 100. Okay, that's not bad. I I, I don't know what the league-wide completion percentage is on, on passing downs and passing attempts over 20 yards. 35 isn't terrible. 14 to 39. He's not throwing picks. Weeks 8 through 11, he is 0 of 19. No touchdowns, three interceptions. He's not completing passes down the field. That's why Tampa Bay isn't scoring and why they're not winning because they have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, all great deep threats, and Tom Brady can't get him the ball. Tom Brady can't, despite the, the help he got from a couple of pass interference calls last night. And I'm assuming pro football focus includes pass interference as drawn as big-time throws. That would make a lot of sense the way they grade out quarterbacks. He's Tom Brady has just been graded just superbly all year long, and I, I don't really understand it. Now, you might be sitting in your car driving home, or maybe you're listening on the WOZN app. Maybe you're streaming at MadCitySportsZone.com or on the WK2I app, wherever you're listening. Maybe you have a smart speaker, and you might be sitting there thinking, but Grant! If Tom Brady can't throw the ball down the field, then why does Bruce Arians keep calling deep shots? It's a coaching issue. It's not a Tom Brady issue. Okay, okay, okay. I hear you. You're not necessarily wrong. In fact, I saved this little chunk to get a different perspective. Colin Coward even agrees with you. And you can blame Tom Brady for all these interceptions, but I went and looked this up this morning. The last, the three previous jobs Bruce Arians had, the starting quarterback had a career high in interceptions. Jameis Winston had 30, Carson Palmer 22, and Andrew Luck 18. And Tom Brady's on pace to have 50 in a career high. So that would be four straight quarterbacks who have their career high in interceptions. I'm over uh, no biscuit, no risk it. I'm over it. Like, Like it's low percentage throws that did not describe the New England dynasty. It was high percentage throws. McVeigh, high percentage throws. That's Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio. That was from this afternoon. Just a different perspective. I'm not saying Bruce Arians isn't to blame. I think Bruce Arians has to figure some things out. He needs to help out his really old quarterback and stop expecting him to throw the ball down the field 40 times a game. He can't do that. 
But, but, and I want to make this very clear. Didn't Tom Brady choose to go to Tampa Bay? And didn't Tom Brady choose to play for Bruce Arians? He left behind, who was the previous? Oh, that's right. He left behind Bill Belichick. That's right. That was his last coach, who is universally regarded as certainly the greatest coach of this era, maybe the greatest coach of all time. And once again, you might be listening, you might be sitting at home and thinking, but Grant, there are no weapons. There are no weapons in New England. They have no wide receivers, no running backs. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Once again, I know New England doesn't have much, but they do have possibly the greatest coach of all time. And that coach got Tom Brady a Super Bowl ring and a Super Bowl win in a game where the Patriots only scored 13 points. Think about that. Yeah, New England doesn't have amazing wide receivers. They certainly don't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Braid and Antonio Brown, although they tried their damnedest. They cert- New England doesn't even have the defense that Tampa Bay does. Tampa Bay has some ballers, some young stars like Devin White and Levante David and Sean Murphy Bunting and Anton Winfield Jr. might just win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Might be, certainly in the conversation. They got some ballers. Vita Vea got hurt. Think about that. Their best defensive lineman got injured. They have Nadamakan Sue. He's just a depth piece. That Tampa Bay squad is loaded offensively and defensively. And Tom Brady chose that roster, chose those weapons, chose that defense, and said, you know what? I'll, I'll take a loss on the coach. I'll downgrade on the coach. I don't want Bill Belichick. I want the roster. Okay. That's a fair decision from Tom Brady. He's a grown man. He can do what he wants. But let's not act like like, like Tom Brady is a victim here. He played for the greatest coach of this era, possibly of all time, for 20 years and benefited greatly. He won a Super Bowl, and I cannot emphasize this enough. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl game where the Patriots only scored 13 points. I have that right. right? I want to make sure I have that right. Patriots-Rams-Super Bowl. I'm going to look it up just so I have that number right. It might have been like 10 Patriots-Rams-Super Bowl. I want to make sure it was 13. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl thanks to Bill Belichick and his defense 13-3. to Yep. Super Bowl 53. 13 points. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. Don't tell me about the roster. Don't tell me about wide receivers. Don't. Sometimes a great coach makes a difference. And everybody today wants to blame Bruce Arians. Is Tom Brady's bat? Well, Tom Brady chose to play for Bruce Arians. We acted like Bill Belichick was an MVP for 20 years. And now we act like he's irrelevant. Oh, yeah, Bill and that meltdown organization in New England. Tom made his choice. He chose weapons and a defense over an organization, over a structure, over a coach. And from everything I read and everything I hear, Tom Brady is a pretty big structure guy, right? He likes his team to be buttoned up, well-organized. Okay, well, he went to a coach and to a team and to an organization that is the opposite, right? And that was his choice. More power to him for making that choice. But, But let's remember that it was his choice to make, right? He signed up for Bruce Arians. He knew he would be asked to throw the ball down the field. And also, really quickly before we take a break, and we'll get into the Packers, this is also what cracks me up. Cowherd said it. I heard other sports talkers say it today, too. Well, Tom Brady needs high percentage throws. He needs checkdowns and outlet passes. Okay, when does, it, when does it stop being about Tom Brady's play style? And when do we just admit that Tom Brady is a limited quarterback at this stage in his career? Well, Tom Brady's never been a throw-the-ball-down-the-field quarterback. Yeah, he always has thrown checkdowns and screen passes and swing passes and bubble screens, and he's had outlets and high percentage throws. Because he's a fairly limited quarterback. You can't move the pocket. You can't shift the offense right to left like Jared Goff and the Rams did last night. Tom Brady's a limited quarterback. And he's playing for a coach that doesn't call a game for a limited quarterback. And that was Tom Brady's choice. 
Cho- choose to went there. Or he chose to go there. Excuse me. Man, grammar's terrible. Takes are great, but grammar's terrible today. Let's take a break. We'll get into the Packers. We got to talk about some beef in the Packers media. Continue our conversation about Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That's coming up at 4.30. But coming up next, a theme that you can find in every one of the Green Bay Packers losses under Matt LaFleur. And it's not something I mentioned yesterday. It's not something that I ever thought about. I want to share that with you. I had just a heck of an epiphany, a theme that you can go through all of the seven losses under Matt LaFleur. One universal thing, and I'll share that with you coming up next. My name, Grant Bills. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host, and I hope you're having a great night. We're almost through the holiday week. Think of it. It's like a Thursday night, basically. Not so bad it being a Tuesday if you just look at it that way. Glass half full, right? Hope your week is coming along nicely. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line. Uh, our friend Bob texts in. I'm, you said it, not me. Uh, Bob said not only did he have a bad game, but he showed poor sportsmanship by not shaking hands after the game. Second time this year, the other was against the Bears. Yeah, interesting, Bob, that uh, Tom Brady doesn't have COVID concerns after a win, just after a loss. Interesting, right? You said it, not me. I wasn't going to bring it up. I I have plenty of football ammo to attack Tom Brady with today. I didn't even need to bring that in. I'm glad you did. Make sure you're text 608-796-2558. You can tweet the show and find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Packers' loss on Sunday. I thought I made it very clear yesterday. I'm not up in arms about it. I'm not mad. I'm I'm disappointed. It's a bummer because that loss could come back to bite the Packers in, in the standings. Right, that could cost him a home game in the postseason. That could cost him a first round bye. We'll see. Only time will tell how that loss impacts the Packers' seating moving forward. But I, I saw a lot of people on TV and on the radio yesterday saying, "Well, the Packers were exposed. The Packers were soft." Well, we knew that after the Buccaneers game. I, I spent like a half hour straight just yelling about that the Monday after the Tampa Bay game. Packers are soft. They fold. We knew that. Right, the Packers can't stop the run. Indy exposed them. No, they didn't. The Packers haven't stopped the run since the first Bush administration. Like, they're not, they weren't exposed. We saw the same team on Sunday that we have seen all year. Some things went wrong in the second half, some bad luck, and there you go. You get a loss. I'm not overly upset about it. And I'm, and I'm trying, to, trying to figure out and trying to look at evidence from not only that loss, but previous Packers losses under Matt LaFleur. I'm trying to find themes. Because ideally, I would really like to avoid another loss like that in the postseason or this regular season. You know what I mean? And Green Bay Packer fans right now, as of November 24th, 2020, are in a very interesting spot because Matt LaFleur has only coached seven losses, right? His sample size as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers isn't very big, but it's big enough. So we can look at the wins, look at the losses, look at the trends. We have enough data to work with, and we can compare and contrast. Seven losses off the top of my head. What do we got? We have the Eagles last year. That was the Thursday night game. San Fran, twice. The Chargers, right? That was last year. Four losses, 13-3 and plus the playoff losses. And then this year, Tampa, Minnesota, which I believe to be the outlier. That's the only really horrible loss the Packers have under Matt LaFleur. And then the Colts, right? That's seven losses, right? Yep. Eagles, San Fran, twice. Chargers, Tampa, Minnesota, and Indy. Those are your seven losses. Off the top of your head, can you think of any themes between those games, I can connect the two San Fran games uh, and the Tampa game. They got blown out and they folded before halftime. They just gave up. Folded like a camp chair. 
If they got pushed around on the field, they were dazed and confused like a deer in the headlights, and, you know, that was it by halftime. The Eagles game, I think, was pretty similar to the Colts game, right? Neither defense could get a stop. The Eagles ran the ball. Carson Wentz made a few big throws. Basically what happened against the Colts. The Colts ran the ball really well, and Phillip Rivers made a couple of good throws here and there. Uh, the Chargers game, I don't, I don't know what the Chargers game was. I It's so... It's so difficult to remember that game. It was a random AFC afternoon game in a soccer stadium. I don't remember much about that game. The Minnesota game was just an outlier. It was windy. Time of possession was huge. And the Vikings were dominant with Dalvin Cook. I think that's the one outlier bad loss. You can find some common themes in all of those losses. Most involved the defense, the running game, and the offense just being soft and getting blown off the field. There is one theme between all seven losses, and I was completely oblivious to this. Until Sunday, when it was pointed out by Eli Berkovitz on Twitter. Works for Game On Wisconsin, Packer Report. He does some fantasy stuff. This blew my mind, but it makes total sense. Playoffs included, the Matt LaFleur Packers have only lost seven games. One common theme, Aaron Jones receiving below 20 touches. Meanwhile, during that same time frame, the Packers are 11-0, and when Aaron Jones touches the ball 20-plus times. Of course. Of course. Now, this also this also makes a lot of sense, right? If the Packers are getting blown out by San Fran or getting blown out by Tampa, they're not going to hand the ball off. You can't run the ball, right? You just you, you take the running game out of it. But the thing is, Aaron Jones is probably their second-best pass catcher, too. Their second-best wide receiver. So they really don't have the option of not involving Aaron Jones. It's not like, well, we're losing big, so I I guess Aaron Jones can't. No, 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 no. You can't eliminate him from the game. He needs to be involved. Even if Aaron Jones only gets five carries, he still needs to get the ball because the Packers with Aaron Jones and without Aaron Jones are two different teams. They can kind of do their thing without Devontae Adams. Without Aaron Jones, they go and lose to the one and five Vikings, right? That's what happens. If LaFleur realizes early on that it's not going to be a run-the-football type of game, if there's no time to run the football or the Packers are playing from behind, he needs to have a plan B, right? He needs to have another stack of plays to grab where it's like, okay, running the football isn't an option, but neither is not giving Aaron Jones the ball. So grab me these stack of plays. We are now pivoting. We're we're editing our game plan. We still want to get Aaron Jones the ball. We just can't maybe hand it off the way that we would like to. And I have a a great comparison. Compare the Packers to the Steelers, right? If the Steelers are getting blown out or it's a high-paced game and there's no time to run the football, okay, if James Conner only gets nine touches, that's not the end of the world because Pittsburgh can continue to run their passing game between Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson and James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster and Eric Ebron. All right, they can still do their thing. The, The Packers' passing game without Aaron Jones is wildly, wildly different than the passing game with Aaron Jones. So like the Steelers, if they want to abandon the run, okay, James Conner ain't going to have a big role. If the Packers want to abandon the run, that does not mean they can abandon Aaron Jones. Absolutely not. The one theme between all seven Matt LaFleur losses, the Eagles, the Niners twice, the Chargers, the Buccaneers, the Vikings, the Colts. I mean, the Vikings, Aaron Jones didn't play, so that explains it a little bit. Aaron Jones in all of those losses has less than... 20 touches, that's not acceptable, right? Even if you're not running the ball, and I get it, when you're getting blown out, when you're getting your butt whooped, you're not necessarily going to be running the football. And and that's fine, that's understandable, but that doesn't mean you can go away from Aaron Jones. You can go away from the run, but you cannot go away from Aaron Jones. He's too dynamic. 
He's a home run hitter. You need to put the ball in his hands. Let's take a break. We'll talk about some beef in the Packers beat between a player and a reporter. This is fascinating. I, I can't wait to dig into this. This is so interesting to me. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up in a few minutes. Wisco Sports Show, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. And a big rest in peace uh, to Hal Ketchum, who passed away either late last night or early this morning. Just one of the great, one of the greats of 90s country. One of the most slept-on country artists ever. And growing up in the Bills household, you listen to Jimmy Buffett. You listen to Hal Ketchum. It's just staples, right? Rest in peace. He was sick for a couple of years, so he might be okay. He might be in a better place. As they, uh, as they tell people to make them feel better about a death. Rest in peace to Hal Ketchum, one of my favorite country artists. I don't listen to a ton of country, but Ronnie Millsap, Hal Ketchum, you know, just the just random artists here and there. We're talking Packers, and you're welcome to join if you want to text me, 608-796-2558. You can give me a call as well. I saw we had a call just for a brief second while we were talking about Aaron Jones, and then I picked up the call and he hung up. So I don't know if you got stage fright. I don't know, maybe you called the wrong number. I, I don't know. Um, but you're always welcome to call in and text in on the talk and text line. You can tweet at me at Wisco Grant as well. Let's keep talking about the Packers, but let's uh, let's gossip a little bit. What do you say? Chew the fat for a couple of minutes. I, I think we've had enough talk about scheme and X's and O's and pre-snap motion. Let's let's have a little fun. Let's let's talk shop a little bit here. There's some drama on the Packers beat, and I, for one, am 100% here for it. I think this is fascinating. All right, let's go. Let's, let's dig into this. So the Packers beat, right, is a collection of credentialed individuals. Steve McGargie, Ryan Wood, Mark Daniels, Aaron Nagler, Matt Schneidman, just, just titans of the industry, right? And, and they are uh, privileged to be able to ask Matt LaFleur once a week boring questions like, hey, how's practice going? And uh, I don't know, hey, do you have a status update on this player? Right, just just titans of communication. The, these old men are. Just, the the Packers beat is one of the most boring collectives of people. And I look, I'm not talking bad behind their back. I don't mean to badmouth anybody. Like Zach Heilprin is uh, is our good friend at the Zone in Madison, a tremendous reporter. I love Zach because he has a little bit of personality to him. I hear some of these Packers reporters. It's like, man, that's that's the question. You're one of a dozen people in the world that, that get access to Aaron Rodgers every week, and that's the question you're going to ask? That's what you're going to ask Matt LaFleur after a loss? It's just, it's a bummer. Love Ryan Wood. Great journalist. He's been on the show before. Other than that, none of them get none of them get back to me. Matt Schneidman in The Athletic. I subscribe. I love The Athletic. Matt Schneidman doesn't want to come on. It's a shame. The Packers beat. Anyways, what were we talking about? Just titans of communication in the industry. Specifically, there's some drama in the Packers beat with one Mark Daniels, from WNFL Radio in Green Bay, and he started some beef earlier this year. Now, it got worse this weekend, but if you'll remember earlier this year, Mark Daniels just ticked off Aaron Rodgers, got them all hot and bothered because he asked Aaron Rodgers if teams had figured them out. Remember this? After they lost to Tampa, this was the exchange. Hey, Aaron, do you think, um, you know, based on how Tampa defended you, that teams, uh, you know, have a better handle on the maturation of year one to year two? 
of your offense? So because of one game, what is it that you're implying, Mark? Our team's figuring you out. One out of five. Okay. Well, that obviously got a brilliant answer from Aaron Rodgers, right? What, what, Mark, what kind of question is that, right? Two, two things are true in this instance, and this is after the Tampa game. Two things are true. Mark Daniels asked a bad question, and Aaron Rodgers is being a diva. Both are going on at once, right? And then Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show that week and was like, that was some of the worst question asking I've ever had. Mark Daniels, I mean, he can do better than that. Come on. It's like, okay, calm down, Aaron Rodgers. But Mark Daniels, what the hell kind of question is that? The Packers get whooped by Tampa Bay, and your question is, have teams started to figure you out? Well, it was was one team. Ask about that one team. What made the Buccaneers so difficult to play against? What challenges did the Tampa Bay uh, defense present that wasn't presented by the Vikings or the Lions or the Saints? Just your head. Turn it on a little bit. You, you get access to Aaron Rodgers once a week. Twice a week. No, after a game and in the middle of the week. And you ask that question, get out of here. Now Aaron Rodgers being a diva too. Both are true. Bad question and Rodgers being a diva. But I digress. We have some new Mark Daniels drama as of this weekend though. And it started with the postgame presser when Mark Daniels boldly asked Matt LaFleur about MVS, specifically said, how can you live with MVS? Man, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? Oh, that's, I, I was so proud of his effort. I, um, I just include the, the first answer, that first part of Matt LaFleur's answer to give you an idea of his response. Because he was like, ah, uh, what? You asked me what? He was very taken aback. I wish I could show you his face, too. Man, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? Matt, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? Well, you don't hate to be blunt because you're being you're being blunt. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rip Mark Daniels for asking tough questions, by the way. Right? Like the MVS question, like he had a big missed play in overtime, right? That's something that should be asked about. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers got killed by the Buccaneers. That's something that should be asked about. But hey, Mark, can we word these things a little bit better? Right? Can we communicate just a little bit a little bit more clearly? Right? Because it's a bit it, it's just a pain to watch one radio guy attempt to ask questions every week and continuously be dunked on by all of Packers fandom and Packers players and the rest of Packers media. Could you just workshop your question a little bit? Instead of saying, hey, Matt, how can you live with MVS? That's not, we, it's not what we want. That's doing, that's doing no one any favors. Matt, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? Okay, well, what kind of question is that? Here's maybe what you should ask instead. Let's workshop a little bit here. Let's uh, spitball some ideas. If I were Mark Daniels, I possibly would have said, if I really had an axe to grind with MVS, I would have said something like, uh, hey, Matt, um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling obviously made a big gaffe in overtime, um, and, and he has been you know, mistake-prone at times throughout his very young career, but he also does a lot of really, really good things. What were some of the things that he did in this game uh, that maybe we didn't notice, or, or what, what great plays does Marquez Valdez-Scantling continue to make that, that we don't see and we don't focus on? Well, what's the good side of the player? One way he, one way he could have asked, right? He could have asked that. Uh, could have asked something like, hey, uh, Marquez has a couple of drops, uh, some gaffes in games so far this year. Uh, Matt, I'm just wondering, you know, what do you see in practice uh, after a big mistake, a big dropped pass or a fumble like this? You know, what's the, what's the response from, from Marquez in practice? What do you see during the week um, when he makes a gaffe? Another great question Mark Daniels could have asked. Just just spitballing here. I don't even have any of these written down. Right? Like his job is to ask a couple questions a week. You'd think that you can just put put your head into it a little bit, Mark. Just a little bit. Just turn your brain on. Just a little bit. 
Now, the real issue for our friend Mark, Mark Daniels of WNFL, came up on Twitter. Imagine that, somebody getting in trouble for a tweet they sent. He tweeted it and has since deleted it. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he said. It was something along the lines of, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a frustrating player, a real roller coaster. Um, And the tagline was, dazzling and dumb. Right, insinuating that Marquez Valdez-Scantling can make plays that'll dazzle you, but he'll also make plays that are really, really dumb, like a fumble. Okay, MVS shared that tweet, put our friend Mark Daniels on absolute blast, right, which sucks for Mark because because every Packers fan just went after the dude on Twitter. He just attacked him. He was bad. Uh, and, And I get why people are ticked at Mark Daniels. Ideally, you would not call a player that you report on dumb. Ideally, you want to avoid that. Now, it's not like he used a derogatory term or a personal insult, right? Dumb isn't exactly a... A, a glowing, I guess, endorsement of a player. But it's, I don't think the word dumb is out of bounds. I wish he maybe would have specified a little bit more and said uh, that it was a dumb play, right? Maybe don't call the player dumb. Marquez Valdez-Scantling quoted the tweet, shared it, and was like, man, make sure you wear your clown paint to the next press conference. You, you know, if you can't handle one fumble, then this isn't the business for you. And I completely agree, right? If you can't handle one of the players that you cover after one fumble... If that's what makes you lose your mind and take personal insult to the point where you got to, like, just put the coach on blast. Man, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? How can you live with MVS? I mean, he makes a lot of good plays, too. He does a lot of important things. Not that Mark Daniels would know because he didn't ask about that. It's This isn't hard. This isn't rocket science, right? The, the, the Packers beat, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at my wit's end with these gentlemen. Because I watch all of these press conferences. Whether they end up on the show or not, right, I watch them. See what kind of juicy things Matt LaFleur is saying or Aaron Rodgers is saying. And I just hear these questions. I'm like, really? That's what you want to, that's what you want to ask? That, that's okay. All right, yeah, let's spend three minutes on that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Sure, whatever. It's funny because Mark Daniels took a little bit of a tough angle on the organization a couple of times this year, right? Once against Rodgers, once against MVS. And he did it in... in a way that wasn't exactly poignant. It wasn't super sharp or super super tasteful. And I get why people, you know, were mad about that. But it also cracks me up that fans were so mad at Mark Daniels. Because aren't Packers fans always wanting more accountability from the Packers organization? Like, all they do is they try to make the postseason, and, and they never go all into win a Super Bowl, and they're just content to take your money and be mediocre every year. Well, first of all, they're not mediocre every year. But it's so rich that a fan base that constantly wants more accountability, people tell me, they're like, great, you should be harder on Packers management, which is ridiculous because Packers, man, they don't listen to the show. This radio show is for fun. It's for entertainment, right? It's to talk back and forth, to have conversations. It's not to keep anyone in check. That is technically Mark Daniels' job. It's the job of the media to ask critical questions, right, and hold those individuals somewhat accountable, at least through the media. Obviously, it's not Mark, Mark Daniels' job to put together a game plan, Right or, or hire and fire coaches and draft players, but you know he is a, a a critical mouthpiece directed towards the organization. And it's funny that a fan base that just screams for more accountability, screams for more intensity. Mark Daniels says one bad thing about a player, everybody loses their mind. Don't call a player dumb on Twitter. That's that's a tough scene. And that question about MVS was really really dumb. How do you live with MVS? How about you ask? Well, what does MVS do well? Because Packers fans see the drops, they see the fumbles. Maybe explain to us everything that he does, not only in the game, but throughout the week that makes you so high on him. 
But no, we got to ask, you know, not to be blunt, but how do you live with your second best wide receiver? Man, I hate to be blunt, but how can you live with MVS? It's like, what, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? Don't tweet about it either. Don't call him dumb on Twitter. Marquez Valdez-Scantling quote tweeted and turned all of Packers fandom loose on Mark Daniels of WNFL, who tweeted an apology today. I guess he uh, apologized to MVS in person as well. I'm a, I'm a big MVS fan after yesterday. And it's not the, it's not the death threats thing. I know, I know a lot of people are, are, you know, forking over sympathy for MVS. And look, if you get hate on social media, I think you're entitled to a little bit of sympathy. But I love the way MVS met with the media yesterday and said, hey, I met and talked with you guys after my best game of the year. I should do the same thing after my bad games, right? This is a part of the job, the good and the bad, right? That's, I, I respected the hell out of MVS like that. Talking about his teammates, talking about that, the, the death threats on Twitter, that's something else. And the weird attacks from Mark Daniels of the Packers beat, that's, I don't even know what's going on there. Packers beat. I blame Bob McGinn for all of this. Crusty old journalists writing in newspapers, not being able to pivot with the times, you know, that kind of thing. Let's take a break. We'll talk about the Badgers coming up next because their game on Saturday is in jeopardy. Uh, and also, it's Tuesday at 4.30, and we haven't really hated on Minnesota yet. We haven't really, you know, talked bad and badmouthed P.J. Flex, so I feel like we got to do that for a couple of minutes because it is Axe Week. Now, whether the Badgers actually play the Gophers on Saturday, that remains to be seen. But we'll talk about it and share the latest, at least on the COVID situation in Minnesota. That coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you're having a good Tuesday evening. Basically Thursday today when you factor in the short week. So excellent energy as far as Tuesday night goes. Yeah, the weather stinks, but whatever. Tomorrow's basically Friday. We're going to be joined by Keith Smith, who covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports tomorrow. Get a national perspective on what the Bucks are doing. Maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to track down Zach Heilprin. It is Axe Week, so I feel like we got to talk to our Badger ringer. See if he's available at all today. See if we can get him before the Thanksgiving holiday. Zach Heilprin of The Zone. Just maybe. Maybe we'll be so lucky. I want to talk about Minnesota. The Golden Gophers for the first time this week. Because we've talked about the Badgers, the Packers, the Vikings, the Bears, the Buccaneers. We've really hit everybody this week so far. And we're only, you know, a show and a half in. It's only 4.50 on, on Tuesday. But you know who we haven't mentioned? The Gophers. We haven't talked about the Gophers at all. We haven't talked about P.J. Fleck. And company, and that has to change because it is Axe Week, and that feels bewildering because the Badgers have only played three games, and the season feels like it started a couple of days ago, and it's November twenty fourth. It feels like the season just started, right? And it's already Thanksgiving week. I I forgot that it was Thanksgiving week this morning. I was on with Ebo on our uh, on our affiliate in Madison, the Zone, and Ebo's like, "Well, yeah, we got a bad mouth PJ Fleck. It's Axe Week," and I'm like, "Holy cow, that came quickly!" And I'm like, "Wait, no, this is." It's Thanksgiving week. Yep, it is Axe week. It is rivalry week. We got to talk about the Gophers. Minnesota beat Purdue this weekend 34-31. to 31. It was very controversial. There was a pass interference call towards the end. It's, I mean, nobody cares. I mean, Minnesota fans, if you're listening, be like, no, it wasn't pass interference. Well, I, I don't care. <laughs> no one cares because it's Minnesota-Purdue. Nobody's watching anyways. So don't lose sleep over it. I don't care if it was controversial or not because it, nobody cares. Nobody cares what the result was. So I, I don't care that it was controversial. It'd be like if the Lions beat the Falcons. On a controversial call, Sunday at noon. It's like, well, if the Falcons win on a controversial call over the Lions, does anyone does anyone really care? If a tree falls in the forest, is anyone there to, to hear it? Right? Nobody's, nobody's watching anyways. Nobody's watching the Gophers and the Boilermakers last week. Controversial or not, I don't care. 
I almost feel like Minnesota isn't worthy anyways to be talked about after that Iowa game. You lose to Kirk Ferentz and Iowa 35-7, to and that seven points came in the final minute, and Kirk Ferentz stares you down from across the field and spends all of his timeouts just to spite you. You know, you know you're in a bad spot. You lose 35, essentially 35 to nothing to Iowa and to Kirk Ferentz. Does Kirk Ferentz even hold grudges? He just seems like the most milquetoast, indifferent man. He seems like a cup of black coffee. It's just what you see is what you get. But I think Kirk Ferentz holds such a grudge and so much hate towards P.J. Fleck. He's like, you know what? No, I'm going to take my timeouts. I want that idiot over on the other sideline in the tie to look up at the scoreboard and see the score for an extra couple of minutes because I'm going to take a couple of timeouts. I'm not going I'm not going back to Iowa City with my timeouts. No. PJ Fleck, you can look at that scoreboard for an extra couple of minutes. The game might have actually been in Iowa City. I don't care. You get my point. Kirk Ferentz spited PJ Fleck for an extra couple of minutes because he wanted to spend his timeouts. He wanted PJ Fleck to look at the scoreboard and see 35 to nothing for as many minutes as possible. Oh, another TV timeout? Yep, sign me up. Absolutely. You can screw you, Minnesota, and screw you, P.J. Fleck. That's that's the, the vibe that I got from Kirk Ferentz the last time I watched the Gophers two weeks ago. I didn't watch them play Purdue, like I said, because no one cares. I know it was a controversial finish. No one was watching, so no one cares. And now it seems like Minnesota this week might not be able to play due to COVID, and I'm not ripping Minnesota for that, right? Like, Nebraska was mad that the Badgers got COVID. Nebraska can go, I don't know, whatever they do in the cornfields down there, that they can go do that. Um, because if a team gets COVID, I'm, I'm not going to blame a team for that. Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State. I mean, that, that's bad luck. Now, if you're breaking protocol and you're being dumb and you're going out, you know, to eat as a team and you're going out to bars, okay, well, that's different. But I, I would never suggest that Minnesota was doing that. Seems like Minnesota might not be able to play. Here's the latest. Here's what we know. They canceled practice today and went virtual in all of their meetings due to some presumptive positive tests from yesterday. Right now, last week against Purdue in the game that nobody watched and nobody cares about, Minnesota was without 22 of their players, both due to injury and due to COVID. The the walls have kind of been closed in on Minnesota for the last week or so. They've had some positive tests and they were able to play this weekend, but uh, it seems like it might be getting worse. The statement from the U of M reads as such, and I will read it in a very official voice to make sure it carries all the weight that it was intended when it was written. The team's goal is to return to regular season practice on Wednesday in preparation for Saturday's game at Wisconsin. That's that's all they said. I actually tried to listen to PJ Flex press conference in a statement, but he rambled on for like 40 minutes, so I quit. I quit paying attention. I'm like, I'm not listening to this clown. Now, if I was a petty Nebraska fan uh, or a, a college football fan with bad taste, one might argue that the Gophers are dodging Wisconsin. That they got COVID on purpose so they don't have to play the Badgers. So they don't have to get their butt kicked by the Badgers. That's how this works, right? I'm just asking because that's that's what Nebraska pulled. And Nebraska's garbage, right? No, I, and Nebraska's worse than Minnesota, right? I don't think Minnesota's very good at all. But Nebraska, I mean, come on, Scott, Scott Frost, that team's terrible. And that team suggested that Wisconsin is dodging them. That Graham Mertz himself sacrificed himself and, and, and absolved the rest of his team from a, a potential loss to the Huskers. By giving himself COVID? Bold. That's a bold take, Scott Frost, and anyone who backed up that lunacy. But as long as that's the argument we're making, I'm just assuming that Minnesota did the same thing, right? That they they, they just went out as a team and licked every doorknob in Dinky Town and made out with everyone at the bar just to catch COVID so they would not have to play Wisconsin. That's how this works, right? Just want to make sure. That's what I was told.
by Nebraska fans. I would never, ever blame Minnesota or rip on Minnesota for having COVID issues. That would make me a huge hypocrite. That would make me a massive hypocrite. That would make Wisconsin fans hypocrites because we took a dump on Nebraska when they whined about COVID. So now it would be very hypocritical to whine about Minnesota and about the Gophers getting COVID. But it would be a real bummer if this game couldn't be played because the Badgers have already missed two games, right? They're already basically out of contention for the Big Ten championship game because they lost to Northwestern and they're already a couple games short. That's It's just realistically not going to happen now. But I want to watch the Badgers play, right? It would feel kind of silly if the Badgers did all this work and the Big Ten did all this work to play and they ended up playing, what, four games when all is said and done? I don't know. It'll be interesting. They had 22 players out last week, both due to injury and COVID. They had some positive tests yesterday, so they canceled practice today, went virtual with all their meetings. I don't know. I'm sure we'll have a clear picture tomorrow. For example, if there's five more positive tests today and we learn that tomorrow, well, then uh, this game's probably going to trend in the direction of not being played. If they get back on the practice field tomorrow and things are trending in the right direction, okay, well, then I believe the Minnesota statement. I'm sure they want to play. That's the goal is to prepare and to play for Saturday's game in Wisconsin. It's at Camp Randall, but we'll see. I don't know. It feels like the walls might be kind of closing in on Minnesota, so the Badgers might have another Saturday off. We'll see. Let's take a break. We'll talk about Monday Night Football, talk about the Green Bay Packers, and we need to appreciate Mike McCarthy. It's been a while since we've talked about him. I have a story you're not going to believe. That's coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.